Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Welcome back to another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Scheinwald. Um, I tend to finish most of our episodes uh, on some sort of forward-looking note, like, well, we'll have to have you back. And um, in this case, we do have someone back. So uh, we have Nadia Bourgeois back. And uh, let me start this whole fucking thing again. Sure. Okay. Nadia Bourgeois, yeah. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Uh, for frequent listeners to the, to the show, I'm sure you, uh, if you listen to the end, you're uh, you're probably going to know that I, I tend to finish a lot of the shows on on this like forward-looking note. You know, uh, um, we got to follow this story. and We got to invite an, this our entrepreneur back. Well, in this case, we we did that. We invited Nadia Bujarwa back uh, of Dia and Co. Back. We spoke to her about eleven months ago, and um, check out that episode. I I, uh, I, I recommend it. She's an incredibly um, thoughtful and honest entrepreneur, and um, and the growth in the company um, has just been crazy in the last year. They have, um, DNCO now has, uh, they've added $20 million in funding from Sequoia. They have, they've served over a million customers. Um, she and her partner, Lydia Gilbert, met at Harvard Business School and, and started the company really only about two years ago, catering to a, a very long ignored demographic plus size women. They, they send personalized boxes of clothes each month um, to their subscribers and, and, um, and their subscribers keep what they want and, and send back what they don't want, um, making shopping far more enjoyable for them. And, and also um, they've done just a, an amazing job of, of connecting with the market and the community, which, which Nadia talks about um, very thoughtfully uh, as well. Today, they're growing options for the market through their uh, Move Fashion Forward campaign, challenging um, designers to design more uh, for this community and, and, uh, and promising distribution to their vast network. Uh, so, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited, uh, thrilled, tr- truly, to have Nadia back on the show today and, and, um, and, and I'm very certain that you will enjoy our second go-round and, and she's already invited back for a third. Um, I mentioned I am Jeremy Scheinwald. I'm the founder of the Mission Driven Group and uh, I'm a volunteer podcaster for VFA and a longtime board member and entrepreneurial board member. I, I frequently lament that VFA was not around when I was graduating because I certainly uh, would have applied. Uh, VFA is a fellow program which attracts enterprising recent college graduates who launch their career as entrepreneurs and help revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city, think like Detroit or Cleveland, um, New Orleans, Philly, where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship network and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs, to learn more about Venture for America and support our work, or even to apply to become a, a fellow. Check out VentureForAmerica.org. If you're enjoying our show, tell someone about it. You know, Tell a friend. Why not? Uh, we're trying to grow our audience so we can keep bringing you uh, great content. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Scheinwald, and I'm pretty warmly accepting LinkedIn friends. Anyway, enough's enough. Here is our uh, interview with Nettie Bajarwa. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Awesome, Nadia. Welcome back. Thanks, Jeremy. It's exciting to be back. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for being uh, one of our only second time guests. We had one other second time guest too, he, he, but he it was right after his first show. He just still had a lot to say. Okay. So <laughs> at least we've got a year between us. We, we do. I, I went back and confirmed that it was exactly eleven months ago that we met last. It's amazing. Okay, so yeah, so like we spoke the, like about a year ago. Why don't we just start with a refresher? Um, I, I would suggest people go back. It's one of my favorite shows that we've done, um, and and listen to episode one with Nadia about a year ago, and you'll you'll see some. That r- remarkable growth in her business and and the continuation of her story will become uh, obvious with this podcast but um yeah let's start with the refresher for the uninitiated and uninitiated just you know can you just lay the groundwork tell us about the problem that you saw what about two years ago or maybe a little more than two years ago um yeah. started two years ago and how you set out to solve it absolutely so um dia is about two years old although i've been thinking about this problem for decades i've always been uh the consumer that we now serve um, but to start with a little bit of a description of Dia, Dia is an in-home shopping experience for women who wear sizes 14 and above. Um, really, what is most kind of distinct and special about Dia is that we've chosen a customer that we care very deeply about um, and that we came to, you know, kind of the idea of building a business around her with a very open mind and with no intention other than to figure out the best possible way to serve her. Um we came at the problem that way primarily because it was the only way we knew how to. Um, I've been this consumer, as I mentioned, all my life. I've never not been, um, you know, kind of interested in shopping or fashion. And what was always clear to me was that there was something very restricting about my experiences because of the size that I was wearing. Um, You know, that was a couple decades of my life. Uh, Fast forward to the fall or spring of 2012, um, where I found myself at Harvard Business School um, with a friend and classmate, Lydia Gilbert, thinking about um, you know industries that we cared very deeply about, and this one really came up as one that you know we both had personal experiences in, um, and it just really kind of one thing led to another, and we started looking at how the industry was organized, what the numbers looked like in the space, how many women could be having the same experiences that we knew so well, and it became clear very quickly that our experiences weren't isolated. Um, there are over um, 100 million women in this category in the U.S. It's about 70% of the female adult population. And this woman today is spending about 20 cents on the dollar what women in smaller sizes are wearing. Mm. And, you know, I think for most people looking at those numbers, it's not clear whether it's a supply-side failure or a demand-side failure. I think the easy answer is to assume that it's a demand-side failure. But there was no way that I could believe that because I was the demand side. Mm-hmm. And so in thinking about why it could be that a gap that large could persist, it was clear to me that this woman was no less interested in fashion, no less interested in style, no less able to spend money. And really what was happening was a massive, massive failure on the part of the supply side. And so we set out to fix that. Yeah, the market is is, is, is staggering when you when you talk about it like that. What is it, 100 million Americans? There are 100 million adult American, women's in, uh, adult American women in this category. 
It's unbelievable. And so, I mean, you really like rolled up your sleeves, if I recall. You mm -hmm. really like you were packing the boxes yourself to start. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, did you did you? I mean, obviously, you knew just as you said the market was was uh, was you know incredibly underserved. I mean, did you have a vision at, at all when you were packing those boxes that you would get to where you are today? And we'll talk about that in a minute. I, to be honest, I think we've always dreamed big. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it's not possible to understand, at least for us, it wasn't possible to imagine all the steps that it would take to get to where we are today and where we want to be in five years, where we want to be in 15 years. But it was clear to us that there was a really compelling opportunity here and that there was an opportunity to do something that we loved for a customer who we cared about very deeply, but really also in the process, build an enduring company. Um, so I think we've been believers for a while. And in the last year since we spoke, like, you've raised $20 million from Sequoia, bringing your funding to $25 million. Um, you know, you've had a, what, a million customers um, I, I, you know, uh, use the use the product, um, if I'm getting that right. Um, and I mean, can you just give us a sense, like, sort of like, bef like I mean, I, it's like, were you holding on to me a year ago? Like, where were you a year ago? <laughs> I mean, I knew there was something big going on, but where were you a year ago? And like, where yeah. are you now to the extent that you can share that information? I mean, it has been a very exciting year. Um, I think the pace um, of growth at Dia has accelerated and continues to accelerate. And you know, really, that's nothing but us reacting to an incredible response from customers. Um, Dia has and always will be kind of first and foremost focused on a woman who we care about very deeply. And we've truly kind of followed her into this business um, and into all the decisions that we've made around how to serve her. So I guess to go back a little bit tactically to what you're asking, um, a year ago, we were packing and shipping boxes ourselves out of a warehouse in Bushwick. Um, that has changed. Like by hand, by hand, fifty people or something like that. Just yeah, just. I think we were at exactly around fifty people. Okay. Um, so that has more than quadrupled. Um, we now you know operate a distribution center. We are moving into actually our second office since moving out of Bushwick. Um, <laughs> and you know I think it. it it's. It makes no sense to say that it happened gradually because it happened so quickly. But right. <laughs> it. It really. It just happens one day at a time. Right. And I think that um, we've kind of taken it one day at a time and love what we're doing. And it's been uh, personally, it's been the most spectacular experience. Of course, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I mean, so few companies, period, you know, grow at this at this pace. Uh, so I mean, you obviously. You know, nailed this. You know, product market fit. Um, it's obvious that you you know you care so much about your customer, but like there are still enormous markets like where people just completely whiff. Yeah. So, I mean, what did you get right on the? What did you get right outside of like identifying the right consumer and picking the right items for this person? So, I think we I think we knew we had product market fit because we built a product around the market. Um, I think what has been most impactful ideas. Um, not the functional benefits of what we do, but really the emotional benefits. I, I feel very strongly that Dia has um, brand market fit, which is a lot deeper than what product market fit um, is about. And that, in my mind, when you're building a consumer business is actually what's most critical. Um, so, you know, that's really what it comes down to for us. I think we've been able to develop an emotional connection around the way that we serve our customer, the way that she views us in her life, um, and that's just been 
you know, rocket fuel. So, so, so take that deeper. I mean, how, how have you? How, how does the consumer really, really connect to your to your brand? How do you, how do you feel that as a business owner? How do you feel the consumer? doesn't just use the product and, yeah. and like but, but really cares about the product. Yeah. So, you know, I think the way that we've stayed true to that and the way that we've demonstrated to her how committed we are um, to serve her exceptionally is to incorporate her in everything that we do, right? So all the decisions that we've made really since the beginning have been a product of not really direct feedback from our customers because I think it's hard often for customers to tell you exactly what they want but really thoughtful listening when the customer talks to us about understanding at a core level what seems to be motivating the desires that she's expressing and how do we serve her at that level, right? So, you know, an example that I think we probably talked about last time was this idea that we heard over and over again from all the customers we started at the beginning that she felt very alone in her shopping experience. And, you know, you could hear that from a customer and you could say, okay, she's alone, let's, you know... It sounds like she's asking for X, Y, and Z. Really, what we what we heard from that was that there was an opportunity to build relationships with her and for her, which are two very different things. The first is a relationship that she has with us. The latter is a relationship that we can fac- facilitate with others with whom she has a shared experience. And that's like one of the most distinct things that's happened at D in the last year is really the evolution of, of a true and organic community around our product that makes it such that she's deriving value from Dia, not just because of the clothes that we're sending her, but because of the experience that she's having around that. Um, Most notably with other women with whom she has a shared experience that it was very hard for her to connect with in the past. So, you know, within this, 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 you know, growth, obviously your life and your role changes significantly. Um, And I think we even talked about this last time too, uh, but, you know, we talked about like sort of what are you keeping, what are you divesting? Because I mean, obviously you guys were growing so much, but, you know, since then it's only accelerated. What, what is different for you from a year ago to today as a manager and in terms of, you know, your, your day-to-day responsibilities or your overall responsibilities? Yeah, uh, probably the phase of most rapid professional growth for me that I've experienced. Um, You know, I think as the business grows, as leaders, we move from tactical to strategic. So whereas a year ago, uh, I spent much more of my time in, you know, kind of the operational nuances of what we were buying, how we were packing it, uh, you know, what our little warehouse looked like and all the rest of it. Today, we have functional leaders that lead many of those teams. Um, And, you know, Lydia and I are able to spend much more time thinking about the things that we believe to be critical for enduring success, which is clear articulation around our vision, around our mission, around who we are as a company, around who we serve, and continuing to put a finer and finer point around the promise that we're making her with every interaction, and making sure that as the organization grows, it remains aligned on exactly the value that we're promising her, and you know, as a group, we're able to deliver on that better and better and better and better. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I, I'd say there's been a move to steering the ship um, rather than rowing in the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little bit more of a coxswain <laughs> these days <laughs> in the world of crew. Um, I, want keep, I want you to keep, keep the metaphor going. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I rode crew in high school, so uh, the, the yeah. metaphor runs deep. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I think about when I think about like the evolution of a manager in, in, yeah. a, in a successful business. I almost I almost think about like 
the way when you watch like early Simpsons, you're kind of like, wow, like I was watching that and like that yeah. was me and I thought that was great. I, I was watching that and I was I was enjoying that so much and thought that was great and yeah. like it just becomes more and more you know the evolution. You're like it doesn't. Uh, this is a bizarre analogy, I guess, but yeah. it's like it it it, it evolves so slowly into like what it is that you love and you can kind of look back and be like that's that's crazy like I you know that was awesome but yeah. this is so much better you know? yeah I agree I think one of the other things is that entrepreneurship warps time right because in some ways it's been so little time but you know if dog years are seven times human years entrepreneur years are like ten times human <laughs> years like it's I don't I don't know if it's a combination of the number of hours that you're spending a day that add up much more quickly or the pace of change or the number of phases that you see in shorter periods of time. But, you know, in some ways it feels like it was yesterday that we were sitting here. Um, and in some ways it feels like that was 10 years ago. And yet it's also like, it's so energizing that it almost like, I really feel like entrepreneurship has kept me like a very young spirit because oh yeah, you just have to be so energetic every day, engaging people and you have to be, to be successful. You have to be so excited about what you're doing. You, you do. Right. So that energy has got to keep going through the yeah. day. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that um, that's one of the things that you know we talk about failure rates among startups and companies so often, and I think that in a lot of ways there are many many things that contribute to that. But one of the things that we've found to be most important is that you really do have to find the things that you're not willing to take no as an answer for, and stick to that mm-hmm. because you will be tried time and time again on your conviction and the commitment that you have to the business that you're trying to build, and you know, we are unwavering in our commitment to this customer. And so, you know, there's certainly been been ups and downs. I imagine that in our future there are higher ups and deeper downs, um, and we're ready for it. So you know this customer so well. You've got to be getting getting so good at predicting this customer's preferences. I was thinking about, you know, I'm going with another reference yeah. here. Something like those, uh, you know, not a big sci-fi guy, but I was thinking the precogs in, uh, in Minority Report yesterday. I imagine yeah. this, like, you know, the ability to like you know really really predict the future with these individuals. How well do you know this customer now? I and mean, are you are you watching every you know week with your return rates just diminish diminish because you're just nailing it? Um, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We. I mean, it's up. it's it's been you know the thing the thing about um, the thing about growing quickly is that you there are no shortage of reps, right? The more quickly things are happening, the more quickly you learn. Right. And the more volume you get to test your ideas on, the more quickly you can see improvements, the more quickly you can course correct. Um, And so, you know, we've been able to advance our service of her pretty incredibly in the last year. Um, does it almost freak you out sometimes? Where you're like, yeah, this is going to work, and then it just does exactly what you plan. No, I, I tell my team all the time. So now that we know we can do this much in a year, get ready for next year. I don't, I don't, mean, I don't, mean, I don't mean sales. I mean more like just like I know that, yeah, that you know yeah, yeah. this this combination is just going to work. That is what you're talking about. Okay, yeah. This combination works perfectly, and it just does. Yeah, you know? I mean, okay. so we got to keep raising the bar. Right. right? Like, it's <laughs> one of our core values. That's awesome. Uh so, I mean, we're talking about like, you know, I mean, oh, there's, I mean, this is such an obvious growth story, but like, you know, you, you've gone from 50 people to 200 people. And how do you balance like getting people on board versus getting the right people on board? Yeah. So I'll say that one of the things that I think has been most special about the Dia story is that the original team, right? It's like the team, the first 15 or 20 people that we had on board like literally bleed this customer 
right? Um, our first stylist, our first operations manager, our first customer experience um, manager are people who really have taken the lead in making sure that they're building the teams around them in the same image that they were, right? So, and I think that that's critical because um, the truth is that we can't make every decision anymore. And so we need to know that the folks who are making the decisions are, um, you know, kind of following the same, making the same judgment calls that we would. And the way that we've been able to do that is by continuing to empower the people who've been with us the longest and making sure that they're carrying that forward. And they've done an exceptional job. So you mentioned, you know, there have been obviously, you know, not everything's going to run smoothly. There are some ups and downs. I mean, what have, to the extent you can share it, you know, yeah. what have some of the stumbles been? Um, what are some of the fun stories? Um, so I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you about the week we moved into our new distribution center, which was, I don't know, 50 times the size of our last distribution center. Um, and, you know, distribution center moves can be very disruptive because you're not shipping boxes those days. And for the majority of our history, we've shipped seven days a week. Um, so enormously disruptive to move inventory and all the rest of it. And um, the way these things always happen this way, I don't know if you remember this, but last year there was a massive Verizon strike. Um, mm. Months of no service at Verizon, which we didn't think was going to impact us because we weren't using Verizon. Um, but it turns out that because there was an enormous Verizon strike, all the other carriers were incredibly backed up because people were no longer going to Verizon. They were going to all these other places. And so the provider that we'd selected for... Um, internet service at our distribution center <coughs> completely missed their deadlines. And we, the move was already in motion. There was no stopping the mm. trucks. And we arrived at the distribution center with all of our inventory and no internet. Um, obviously, we run you know, everything on software that requires right. internet. <laughs> um, and so we launched our distribution center on dozens and dozens and dozens of personal hotspots. Oh my God. There are MiFi's for everybody. For how um, long? I think it was a good eight days, but out, you know, it, it definitely impacted productivity, but you know, it was literally a moment where it was like the show must go on and it did. I mean, is that something like, obviously if you were moving to another, into another center, you'd be like, okay, we're going to double check, triple check, quadruple check. But is that something like, is that just I, something that happens? Like, I think it happens when do? you're moving very fast because I'm sure that if, you know, we weren't trying to do a million things at the same time, we probably would have confirmed and reconfirmed that everything was on track before we... And we would have delayed the move a week, but it happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was probably the second week or maybe even the first week of um, our new COO's time at DIA. And he, we had a meeting and he said, I have some bad news. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no internet at the DC, but good news. We already have a plan. We've ordered, you know, whatever, 48 MiFi's or whatever it was. Um, and we thought, yes, this was a good decision. So, he's definitely a keeper. So you um, can, that's, that's interesting, your perspective on that, like, you know, that, that he's a keeper, like he solved the problem. But oh, I mean, yeah. you can laugh about it now. Were, were, you, were you able to laugh about it then or were you just? I think we're pretty good at laughing about things, to be yeah. honest. I think, you know, we've always favored learning and speed above perfection. Um, and so those are moments when it becomes you know, what are you going to do? There's yeah. there no internet. We we found a solution. Was it optimal? <laughs> no. But did it get us through? Yeah. Got you through perfectly. No no problem. And we really. slowed down for a little bit, but it didn't, you know, it certainly didn't um, throw the wrench that it could have otherwise 
kind of created in the business. Right. Are you are you guys meeting demand? Are you turning anyone away? Uh, we're back at seven day week fulfillment, um, which is. Um, you know, I, I think good. We want to be able to be meeting demand as quickly as possible. Um, but, you know, we're constantly kind of playing with levers to increase capacity and figuring out how we can be um, serving everyone not only as quickly but as, as well as possible. So there's a constant game of um, lever pulling. So speaking of speaking of seven day a week, I mean, are you seven day a week, you know, 16 hour a day, are you, are you able to have some, aside from, of course, the VFA podcast, which we have time for, <laughs> are you able to, have, you know, have some semblance of a life outside of work? Um, honestly, no. No? There hasn't been, um, there hasn't been a lot of time for things other than Dia, um, but I I would never complain about that. Right. Um, would know. others complain about that? Do you have your, like, I don't know, mom or someone calling you being like, where are you? You know, you got to... <laughs> You got to show uh, up. Some. Um, but <laughs> With a shrug. Eh, you know, not my mom. <laughs> mom, I, I answer all your messages. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's a reality of making a life decision like this. And we're, we're here for it. Right. I, you know, this is so invigorating and exciting that there's um, certainly not for everyone, but it is for us. Okay. The... So, I mean, this was a big year in terms of uh, a $20 million fundraise. Um, we talked a little bit before you before you were on about how you're not naturally a promoter. Yeah. Um, how does someone who's not naturally a promoter, you know, manage manage that process? Um, you build a good business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that... Um, Is your partner also, you know, Lydia, she also not naturally like a... You know, a promoter. She also oh, yeah. like, let's just let the business do the talking. Yeah, I think we're we're very much aligned in that. And you know, the business has always done the talking. So there hasn't. The only time when the business didn't do the talking was before there was a business, and, mm-hmm. and back then it was very hard for us to raise money. Um, so I think that um, I think that we've we've worked very hard at staying focused on the things that we can control, which is which are the decisions that we're making around you know, building a sustainable, enduring, valuable business. Um, and we've found that, obviously, you know, we have an extraordinary customer that's made this possible, but in focusing on the things that we know that we can control and making sure that we're doing our best work there, the rest has fallen into place. So what is, aside from the money, what is what is taking money from a Sequoia do? You know, this is like a brand as a as a VC. Does it do anything special? Is, is, is money money? And you know, let's let's hope Sequoia's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know I think that it was much more around the partners that we wanted than um, a brand. Um, we're very fortunate to work with um, Alfred Lennon Sequoia, who is obviously an exceptional investor. But I think what was most important to us an exceptional operator. Um, and I think those two things are actually quite rare um, in the same person. Um, and we've always had the approach of not wanting to, we've wanted to bring the most um, inspiring, kind of compelling people as possible to the table at DIA and to learn from them and to bring them into our decision making and to actually have the benefit of their expertise in how we're growing the business. Um, and that's been our approach from the beginning. We you know, operate on complete transparency with our 
board and our investors. And part of the reason is because we want them to actually be able to help. Um, and it's been, um, you know, we've been very lucky from the beginning in terms of who our investors are and the impact they've been able to have on our business. But I'd say that we've also prioritized working with people who um, are true partners to us. And you know, when you have a you have a board, and and you know, you're this isn't you packing boxes anymore. I mean, you're you're also accountable. You're so accountable to your customer. You're so accountable to your own team internally. But you also have this board. I mean, does that does that change anything for you? Are you unfettered? Because things are going so well? No, no. I mean, we never want to be unfettered. Uh, we always want to have discipline because the truth is that discipline is most important when things are moving fast. Um, but you know, I it sounds uh, it sounds odd and sometimes feels masochistic, but we really enjoy our board meetings. Right. And not necessarily. I mean, the meetings themselves are great, but I think the preparation for board meetings is, is so critical. It's a moment for us and our team um, to really take a step back and think about, you know, reflect not only on um, what's working, but most importantly, where we need help um, and really stay focused on um, where we're going from here. There, there's there's true clarity that comes from, um, I think, the accountability that we really enjoy from very, very... Um, engaged investors, which is what we've always wanted. Speaking of relationships, you know, you, you co-founded this with a classmate, mm-hmm. and you guys were, you know, friends and, you know, packed the boxes together and all that type of stuff. I mean, how has your relationship with your co-founder changed, if at all? Um, I don't think that the relationship has changed. Our roles have changed, but we've always balanced each other out um, in kind of a wonderful way, and that continues to be true. Um do you have time for each other to to check in? <laughs> like, we spend you... all of our time together. Okay. Uh, we did a Facebook Live last night, and every story that we had was a story that we had spent together. It was like, we watched the Grammys together. We went to see La La Land together. And it was like, you know, I don't... I'd like to say that there are other people who we spend time with, but the truth is <laughs> there aren't. I was expecting this forlorn story. Like, I miss her. You know, we, we're no, so stretched. We, we, we you know. spend so much time together. Uh, we live nearby. We walk home together. We, that's nice. Um, you know, we also have the same friend group. We, whatever social, you know, so social is, time. So, so is that critical? I mean, is having a partner that's been that close been been critical to, to your success? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, the things that are hard to measure are how much support we provide to each other. Um, and, you know, this has been, it's been an incredibly fun year. It's been extraordinary. It's been so satisfying, but it's certainly been hard. Um, and, you know, I don't know that there, it's hard to quantify how much easier it has, it has been because there are two of us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Curious, going back to this, you know, this this big raise, it, you know, Sequoia catches a lot of attention. I'm curious if you're seeing any, and I mean, you're, you know, the market is is you're talking about the dynamics of the market here today. I mean, 100 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing copycats pop up. I think the plus size industry is getting a lot more attention. Um, we've certainly seen, um, you know, I think 2016 was a big year of awareness for this customer, and in 2017 we're already starting to see. Uh, more people really act on the opportunity. Just yesterday, I um, saw that Neiman Marcus is going to be testing a plus size uh, department. But uh, if you actually read the articles, they're testing the plus size department only in their outlet stores. 
Um, so there's kind of, you know, I think the themes that we've always seen around um, how this customer is approached um, continue to be true, but certainly we've seen moments of progress. And I, I would expect to see um, more and more attention paid to this customer going forward. You see anyone saying we're we're the dia of X in a different in a different <laughs> different? Uh, uh, I think it's vertical. primarily I think it's primarily just uh, you know a demonstration of um, how powerful this customer is that people are taking note of. Mm-hmm. I remember I, mean, I remember last time talking about it with you and. You know, I was, I mean, I'm, you know, not, I'm not the consumer, obviously. And, and uh, I was really surprised at how um, sequestered the, the, the customer was. Yeah. Um, and uh, were you talking about how, like, you know, on the, there was like a separate floor at like a, I don't know about a Neiman. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I barely shop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I find that to be, you know, quite yeah. stunning. Um, and so, you know, this is actually my last question, but I'll go with it now. I mean, how, how uh, what inning are we in in terms of some change? Are we still in the first inning? Um, I, I think we're um, in the first inning for sure. I think we're inning. just getting started. I think, you know, the magnitude of change that we aspire to in this industry is something that will take decades. Decades. Because um, so many of the... So many of the reasons why this customer is served the way that she is is deeply rooted in how we as a society view women, right, mm-hmm. is kind of the honest truth. The reason why um, most retailers don't serve this customer is because they believe it to be inconsistent with their brand. Mm-hmm. And that is because brands are denominated in effectively women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as that continues to be true, which brands aren't, kind of inventing on their own they're inventing because they believe that to be commercial um it's going to be hard for this woman to get the attention that she deserves so that type of change um is not the kind of thing that happens overnight it's certainly started um but we'd like to continue to lead that effort and 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 you are so you guys launched move fashion forward recently Mm -hmm. tell us about that initiative so Move Fashion Forward was uh, really the product of all of the work that we've done with this customer, um, very specifically around how misunderstood her desire for fashion is. So we'd heard anecdotally from customers um, you know, since the very beginning that there was so much more desire than there was supply for her to participate in the brands that she loved. And one of the anecdotes that we heard most frequently was this idea of her loving to buy accessories from brands. Um, and then being very disappointed to learn that clothing was not available to her in her size. So, you know, we'd kind of had this idea in the back of our minds. We've obviously, you know, the, the majority of our work from um, an infrastructure perspective in 2016 was around expanding supply. Um, we couldn't grow fast if our supply base wasn't growing fast. And we, we'd had, we've had to make um, big investments there. But there was clearly a need to bring more awareness to the fact that this was a customer that wanted to participate in more brands and that wasn't possible for her. So we you know, wanted to make sure that we could quantify that. We ran a third-party survey that uh, demonstrated unequivocally that this woman was not only interested in fashion, willing to spend much more money if fashion options were available to her, um, and you know, all the things that we've always known just now kind of factually proven to be true. Um, and it was, a, it, was, it was like an interesting moment for us of thinking about what do we do with this? How do we, um, we as a company that is so singularly focused on this customer and 
you know, want to be able to effect the greatest change on her behalf, what do we do about this? And, you know, one of the things that we've seen and we have known to be true is the fact that it's something that gets talked about very often, but very little action actually happens. So we were coming up on another fashion week and it was clear that if there were certainly going to be some talk about body inclusivity at fashion week, um, but that we could play a role in actually moving that talk um, to action and not just increasing the amount of representation that we see of plus size women in fashion, but actually changing the number of options that women have to put on their bodies for, from a clothing perspective um, in the size. And so we made a very public um, call to designers uh, on the first day of Fashion Week, February 9th. Um, we got a full page out of the New York Times and let designers know that this customer is ready. Mm-hmm. And as a partner, we are ready to really put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and you know stand behind an offer to be um, you know the partner and kind of break down any barriers that may stand in the way of a designer's desire to enter the space. So um, what's so what's the response been? So the, you, um, the response inbox been flooded. <laughs> there was an extraordinary response. Yeah. Um, there was an extraordinary response. First and foremost, from our community, um, which was very special. So. Um, the number of calls and emails um, that we got from women who were, you know, kind of blown away by the fact that this would be in the New York Times, that this would be a topic of, you know, so much investment and discourse was, I think, very special. Um, some exciting uh, developments on um, the brand front, which we'll hopefully be announcing uh, in the coming months. But, you know, I think that it was just a moment to say, we will be the loudest voice on behalf of this customer. It is incumbent on us as a, as a brand that is solely dedicated to her to lead the charge and not just talk about change, but actually affect change. Um, and that's a responsibility that we take very seriously. So one of the, one of the ideas was that you would, you would help fund um, a designers, right? We, right. Will, we will help fund effectively by distributing. Okay. Um, okay. So we will provide the distribution. We've accumulated an enormous amount of fit knowledge and fit technology <clears throat> around this customer. It's actually one of the primary reasons why brands say that they don't enter the space because fit, um, fit behaves very differently in larger sizes than it does in smaller sizes. And it, there is actually an expertise around getting it right, which we have, mm-hmm. right? We've you know done the work to become experts at this. We're willing to share that with anyone who is willing to, you know, agree to serve this customer exceptionally. Um, and, you know, hopefully the combination of those two things makes it an, uh, an, easy, an easy challenge to respond to. Right. You're promising, I, basically promising sales. I mean, I'd be very interested to hear um, from brands who do not take up our offer um, <laughs> how they'd explain that. Right. Yeah. I mean, so when you're, you've got, you know, some buying power on behalf of your your your, your customers already, yep. and there are you know producers who are you know they're seeing the sales. I mean, are, is anyone is anyone help leading the charge saying like yes, like I I I hear this because we're shipping more stuff to you. We're going to expand our line. I mean, yeah. are you having that effect on your on your suppliers? So on our existing suppliers, for sure. Yeah, we've brought um, we've expanded the offerings of dozens and dozens of brands at this point we've launched our own brands we've you know we've done tremendous work on increasing supply but that doesn't change the fact that if she wants to wear kate spade we can't do that today hmm. if she wants to wear diane von Furstenberg, we can't do that today um can you pick up the phone and call them are you, are you at that point that point yes uh, well we're we're gonna see 
hopefully that ad was hard to ignore. Right. But we'll uh, we'll see. See, you're, see, you're holding on to me, and I can tell there's something big. <laughs> I can tell there's something big no. here. Well, we're well, work, well, we're we're working I mean, <laughs> hard. We're you know we we're very serious about this, and I think it's something that we. Um, we're going to do everything within our power. Hey, I've got your email address, and I know you're willing to come back. So I'm just, this is just the, this <laughs> episode is just the, three. the, this is just the invitation to have the, uh, yeah, exactly. Episode three in, yeah. in 11, 11 months time. Yeah. I'm not even going to give you the year. I'm going to give you 11 months. I, I, I would love that. Um, it's probably a great place to wrap, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of how I can, how I can talk you into revealing, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's an awesome story. And, uh, and one, um, like as a as a father of two young girls, the, it it it's you know I'm I become hypersensitive to these issues yeah. myself already. So, um, yeah, I really think carefully about how I how you know I talk to my daughters and my yeah. wife does too. And um, you know it's it's obviously a, a critical issue. So, um, you know, uh, amazing entrepreneurial success and and I you know the social mission is obviously very admirable. And, and uh, I'll stop cheerleading. Thanks for sharing with us again. <laughs> Thank you. It's awesome to be back and look forward to episode three. See you soon. (laughs) See you soon. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.